there's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef, and today we're here to discuss diabetes. We will cover causes, risks, and treatments. And based on the American Diabetes Association, there are some statistics about this disease that I wanted to share. 1.5 million Americans are diagnosed with diabetes every year. Diabetes remains the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S., and according to the Centers for Disease and Control, the CDC, the number of people with diabetes has more than tripled in the last couple of decades, reaching 30 million today. So today, our featured expert is Dr. Barto Borguera, endocrinologist here at Cleveland Clinic and the director of obesity programs in the Endocrinology and Metabolism Institute. And one of his main efforts uh, is to integrate the different medical weight loss initiatives currently being developed uh, at this institute and to coordinate any uh, evidence-based lifestyle weight loss program based on nutritional advice, physical activity, and use of appetite control medications, which is being offered both to patients and caregivers here at Cleveland Clinic. And please remember, this is for informational purposes only, and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nala. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Sure thing. So let's just talk about diabetes. What is it? What is diabetes? Well, diabetes is when the uh, blood sugar goes too high. Mm -hmm. In general, there are different ways that your physician can, uh, can make a diagnosis when you're blood fasting blood sugar in the morning before mm -hmm. you eat. If it's over 126 milligrams per deciliter, that usually is uh, concerning and that uh, suggests type 2 diabetes. Sure. And sometimes also we do uh, a measure in the blood called hemoglobin A1C. Mm -hmm. That is a marker that can be done with a blood test. And if that's over 6.5, it's also consistent with type 2 diabetes. Okay. So that's a way that we have to make a diagnosis. But in general, type 2 diabetes occurs mainly because people uh, usually develop weight, weight, weight gain. Okay. So um, let's talk about what is the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Well, it's a big difference. Mm -hmm. Type 1 is when the pancreas does not produce insulin. Mm -hmm. That usually occurs in younger individuals. Okay. Type 2 occurs when your pancreas, even though produces insulin, finds resistance in the periphery, in the tissues, mm -hmm. to work. And that resistance is mainly because uh, problems associated to overweight. Oh, right. So we produce enough insulin within type 2 diabetes. However, it's not working properly, reducing the amount of sugar because it cannot reach the target. It cannot work properly, the insulin. Okay. So it cannot lower the blood sugar. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it type 2 diabetes you can develop from weight gain or develop later yes. in life type 1? You're born with it? Is that correct? No, you, you develop. We really don't know 100% what is the cause of okay. type 1. But in general, um, there is a destruction of your pancreas. The mm -hmm. pancreas is an organ that we have in, in the belly yes. and produces insulin. Mm -hmm. And you stop producing insulin. So okay. with type 1, when we check the insulin level in the blood, is is very, very low. So that's the reason why. So uh, patients with type 1 do not have insulin, therefore the blood sugar goes up significantly. Right. They really need insulin to survive because if not, they get into a condition called ketoacidosis. The blood sugar is too high mm. and um, that's very critical. So insulin is, is a must for type 1 diabetes. Okay. 
For type 2 diabetes, we produce enough insulin from our pancreas. However, it's not working properly. It's not able to do the work because it finds a problem when it reaches the target, the receptor, so it cannot do its work. Okay. And it's because problems associated to overweight, to yeah. obesity. Those hormones, those problems because of the obesity interact in the target, insulin cannot work properly, so therefore insulin cannot lower the blood sugar, and the blood sugar is also elevated in patients with type 2 diabetes. So the risk factors and causes for type 2 diabetes, is that the number one is obesity? Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And that can cause a lot of other diseases, uh, Absolutely. We see that patients who develop type 2 diabetes, more than 90% of the cases before they have accomplished weight gain. Wow. So the weight gain causes uh, problems uh, ma mainly in the in the fat tissue. There are hormones and uh, substances produced by the fat tissue, by the adipocyte, that uh, Im uh, impinge or uh, preclude the effect of insulin, does not allow the insulin to work properly. Mm. So you develop insulin resistance as a first step, and subsequently the insulin is not doing its work and the blood sugar increases and you are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Oh, I see. So... How do you know if there, if, if you are uh, developing diabetes? Are there uh, early signs? Absolutely. There are very clear signs. Some of them are not too specific. Okay. One is uh, you develop some fatigue, fatigue. some um, increased appetite. Mm -hmm. um, you develop uh, polyuria. That means that n people urinate a lot. Oh, okay. Polydipsia. That means that they become very thirsty. Okay. And also they are hungrier. They eat more because they are losing a lot of sugar in the urine. So when they lose sugar, they, uh, they are hungrier. Mm -hmm. And also because of the um, waste of sugar in the urine, there is weight loss. So when people develop fatigue, increased thirst, increased urination, hunger, uh, they have to urinate during the night. And mm -hmm. that's two or three times during the night. Yeah. And all those conditions, all those uh, characteristics suggest that there is the presence of type 2 diabetes. And are there testing uh, like kits available for this if you think you may have it? Absolutely. Or is there a certain age yep. that you're supposed to go uh, get tested? Well, uh, when people who feel that those symptoms are present in their life, they should check with their doctor okay. and make sure they will have a blood test and the blood test will check how much, how high is the blood sugar. Sure. And if it's over 200 in non-fasting conditions or if it's over 126 fasting, that will be consistent with type 2 diabetes. In the presence of all those symptoms, too. Yeah, right, right. So um, our diet is really, I mean, full of a lot of sugar, right? So is there like an, a certain age that people should go get tested, even if they're not... Um, feeling, you know, the uh, thirst or... Yes, in general, you know, we should have a blood test on a yearly basis at least. Okay, uh, okay, so yearly uh, basis. So, so usually if, obviously sooner if, if uh, people who develop some of those symptoms, and right. I repeat, I mean, increased thirst, increased urination, hungrier, they eat more, okay. they are losing weight, they are fatigued, they are, you know, urinating during the night. All those are, are and, and especially if you develop nausea vomiting, that will be that would obviously be like a big reason to go to the emergency department to oh, wow. be uh, wow. evaluated. Do genetics play a role in this at all? If well, my mom has to it? To a certain degree. Uh, yes. uh, overweight, obesity also is genetic. So mm -hmm. people who have more prone to, to develop weight gain and to, you know, have uh, overweight within their family, yes, that may preclude or direct them to develop uh, type 2 diabetes. Okay. So there is a component of genetics, but I think the environment is mainly what we're dealing with. I mean, right. we're in an environment that 
more and more we are less active. We yeah. are having um, foods that have high caloric content, uh, the stress in our lives. All those factors are, are playing a role sure. in, in, in uh, as a society gaining weight. Right. Now, with gaining weight, I want to ask this before we get into this, but tell me if this is right or wrong. If someone likes a lot of sweets and they eat a lot of sugar, drink a lot of sugar, but they are not obese, they're not in any way big, does that mean that they are definitely away from, they're not diabetic? Or it could be, uh, you could still have diabetes even though you're not. Uh, well, if you eat a lot of sweets, yes, you increase to a certain degree your risk yes. of, of developing type 2 diabetes. Okay. But at the same time, if you like sweets, but at the same time you exercise significantly and you eat that Balanced in moderation, mm -hmm. uh, you know, eating a lot of sugar is not good, but right. eating a lot of anything is probably not good. Right, exactly. So, so I'm not saying that you, know, you cannot have a piece of cake uh, once in a while, but if you eat a cake on a daily basis, that pushes your pancreas to really produce a lot of insulin sure. and get, could get to a point that you gain weight and the in insulin could uh, stop being effective. So, okay. yeah, watching, watching what we eat is extremely helpful. Sure. Uh, una, a, a diet uh, or a dietary program high in sugar is not a good idea right. in general. Right. Okay, so how does diabetes affect other body parts like uh, eyes or kidneys and why do they affect other body parts? Well, yes, uh, elevated blood sugar um, causes a problem with what we call retinopathy. That's uh, people develop uh, problems yes. in the eyes, mm -hmm. also in the kidneys. Uh, the kidneys start seeing a lot of uh, blood sugar, uh, um, and when they filter the, 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 the blood, the kidney sees a lot of sugar. That sugar plays a role in the, yeah. in the membranes in the kidney, so it could damage the kidney. The same with the eyes, the same with the nerves. There is something called neuropathy, when people start developing some numbness, tingling in their arms, in their hands, uh, feet. Uh, so that's, that's consistent with type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And if nothing happens, if we don't really take care of it, sometimes people present uh, with, with eye trouble and the ophthalmologist, the, the eye doctor, makes the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes. Right, right. So that's very unfortunate that nobody has been able to make that diagnosis before already a complication, sure. an important complication and severe complication like eye problems have occurred. So the recommendation really is to see your doctor at least on a yearly basis, so you have a blood test. If you develop those symptoms that I was describing, sure. you seek medical attention. And we, with those symptoms, especially if you develop some nausea or vomiting, you really Immediate. need to go to, to the emergency department, so they address wow. that right away. Okay, great. And let's talk a little bit about treatments and management. Yes. Um, so what can you do to avoid type 2 diabetes? So check your weight. Yes. It's what you're eating, correct? Yes. I think that's number one. Okay. It's very difficult to develop type 2 diabetes if before you have not gained weight. Mm. It's very, very difficult. So, yes, some people, you know, from um, Asia or, or from uh, India or from China, they may develop those type 2 diabetes at a lower body mass index than a person like me from Spain. Mm. So we see in, in, in people from Europe, uh, we see that in general, we start developing type 2 diabetes with BMIs of 27, 28, 29. People from, from China, they may develop type 2 diabetes at BMI 22, 23, so at a lower weight. Right. So we right. cannot say that, uh, oh, no, it's not that they have developed obesity. No, they have developed weight gain. And yeah. the weight gain 
plays a role and uh, impacts the, kin uh, the pancreas in the production of insulin. So it's a risk factor. Right. And so number one, prevent weight gain. Yeah. And how you can prevent weight gain? Eating healthy, for sure. Yes. Small portions. Um, you know, drinking water and avoiding maybe too many, uh, you know, pops and uh, juice. And <laughs> yes. I mean, we need to enjoy life, yeah. but at the same time in a way that is healthy. So, so talking to your providers and make sure that you have a good understanding of a healthy diet. That's sure. very important. Sure. Mediterranean diet is, is very healthy. So that's number one, a healthy nutrition. Number two, physical activity. Okay. We have become a very sedentary uh, society. Mm -hmm. We can have a very you know, successful life burning very little calories along yeah. the day. Right. Very little. Right. So number three, sometimes we use medications to control appetite. Okay. Some people really develop an increased set point in the brain for appetite. Okay. So that needs to be addressed. And we have FDA approved for medications. So it controls appetite. Yes. It's not working on insulin. It's not working on sugar. It's just literally just appetite suppressant. That's right. Yeah. Wow. It works in the brain, in the hypothalamus, mm -hmm. and it helps people to be less hungry. Basically, they don't eat to eat as much to get to the same level of fullness. Oh, very, very interesting. So they, they, are, they, are, they can be very useful. Sure, sure. Number four is sleep. Sleep. People who don't sleep uh, more than six, seven hours could have increased appetite. In, in our clinic, we have plenty of um, people who work third shift and uh, they gain weight. As soon as they start working in the night shift, mm. there is usually associated weight gain. When we are on call the day after, and that has been fully documented, you are hungrier the day after sure. you are on call. Sure. Uh, and number five is anxiety, depression, stress. Mm. Those are a big factors also that cause overeating. Okay. So is this a part of the medical weight management program? Yes. Okay. We pay a lot of attention to those five areas that I was mentioning. Yeah. Um, we, we, we make sure that we work with our nutrition team. We have a group of dietitians who are very knowledgeable and help us to, to identify what is the best uh, dietary program for our patients. Mm -hmm. And there is not really the best one. There is, the best one is the one that you follow, the one that you feel comfortable and hopefully that's healthy. Right. So, so the best program is the one that you are able to have here too and you are able to follow. So, so our team helps our patients to really identify healthier eating. Okay. We pay a lot of attention to, to Mediterranean diet. That is, the Mediterranean diet basically consists of uh, more fish, and poultry, and okay. uh, vegetables, uh, nuts, uh, olive oil, much less um, red meat. Okay. And, and olive oil is a very important component, plus yeah. uh, nuts and, and uh, chicken, fish. Cut down carbs. Cut, cut down, down carbs. Sugar. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, fruits are also part of it, but yes, reduces carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. And um, we also have another type of diet that is uh, the ketogenic diet. It's a Perfect. diet that. <laughs> yeah, the ketogenic diet um, is quite common. Uh, what it works, the way it works is that people consume very little amount of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. When you eat, less carbohydrates, your body starts breaking down the fat. The, we, need, we need energy. Right. So sugar is energy. Mm -hmm. When you don't eat too much sugar in your diet, you need to look for other alternative energy. So the fat in our belly becomes the energy and it gets burned. So when our body starts breaking the, the triglycerides, the fat, uh, the consequence of that is mm -hmm. the production of something called uh, fatty acids. Okay. It's, a, it's a metabolite. It's a, it's a breakdown product of fat. 
those fatty acids work in the brain reducing appetite. It's an, what we call anorexigenic okay. mechanism with reduction of appetite. Oh, so when people get into ketosis, that is those ketone bodies are being produced, yes. they really are not too hungry. Basically, they are not hungry. Oh. So they start breaking their own fat, and uh, it's a great way to get into a situation where you are not hungry. Sometimes it's a difficult diet to follow because you eat very little carbohydrates, yes. and your diet consists of mainly of protein, you know, eggs, um, uh, chicken, and, and you can and fish. eat meat on the ketogenic diet, oh, correct? Plenty, plenty, plenty of, of meat. Okay. Plenty. Okay. For me, we mean chicken, and we meet uh, turkey, and we meet yeah. uh, red meat, and we meet uh, fish. Yeah. So a lot of protein, yeah. very little sweets. And very little potatoes and carbs. So even some fruits, and for those who don't know about the ketogenic diet, it's more protein, a lot of healthy fat, and really, really small amounts of carbs uh, and sugar, including fruits. A lot of In fruits that if you're on a strict ketogenic diet, you you're not allowed to eat a lot of no. fruits. It's Mainly, just berries, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Mainly berries. Uh, so it can be very effective. Yeah. Sometimes we use it as a jump start. So... People who are able to follow, you know, loses a few pounds, sure. feel more motivated, get more engaged, right. and slowly we 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 after make a transition to a more balanced diet like uh, like Mediterranean diet. So, how long on the keto diet do you think someone should kind of follow it strictly before they jump uh, ship to Mediterranean? Well, it really it really varies. Uh, I think. Uh, some people, we have three months, some people six. We have people who have been Still following going. more than a year. Yeah. We check labs. We make sure your uric acid, your kidney function is okay. Yeah. But it, it's a fairly safe uh, diet. diet. I mean, we, 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 we make sure we follow people closely. Uh, some of our patients really like this diet, and they are doing extremely well. Good. But we have to understand that once you stop that diet, your appetite comes back. Oh. <laughs> so there's a lot of weight regain mm. when you stop this diet if you don't do anything else about it. Okay. So that's why we are very aggressive using medications to reduce appetite. So you, you get into a ketogenic diet, you start producing your ketone bodies, your appetite gets down, you start yeah. losing weight. Yeah. You can be extremely successful losing 30, 40. We have people losing 80 pounds. Wow. But the moment they transition to a more balanced diet, their weight even if lower. it's balanced diet yes because oh. in general their appetite comes back oh. so you are trying to meet what your brain is asking you to eat okay so the ketosis is what's making them not hungry that's right it's not just like the fat in the brain that we're the stuff that we're eating that's right yes. okay so speaking of ketosis how about fasting like intermittent fasting, yes. um, I hear that you can also get ketosis Yeah, there that. is some data to suggest that intermittent fasting uh, could be helpful. And mm -hmm. some data suggests that, you know, when you skip one day, uh, you may lower your insulin resistance and maybe you are more effective and your appetite is better controlled. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I am sure that that's uh, useful long term. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, yes, short term, there is some data to suggest that in intermittent fast could be a good way to lose a little bit of a few pounds right. and after um, try to go back to, again, a more balanced diet. Sure. Now, how long do you need to be fasting to get on ketosis? And how long do you need to be on a keto diet to get on ketosis? Yes. Interestingly, when you start following the advice from our nutrition team, within 48 hours, 24, 48, you are in ketosis. Oh, okay. Meaning you are producing your on ketone bodies right. and your appetite is under and control. you're burning fat. glucose or you're, you're burning you're fat mainly. burning fat instead yes. of glucose so okay. it usually occurs within uh, 48 hours or so okay uh, 
And we have people who are in ketosis on and off during a year. So today we have a party or today we have celebration and maybe we have some sweets and yeah. sometimes you get off ketosis. But the, within 48, 24, you can get, you, right you can get back. Okay, good. So, so we have people who are doing that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, enjoying life is part, it's very important. So, yeah. so, but you can have a very you know, uh, nutritious diet with, with a high-protein diet, but sure. you have to be willing not to use carbohydrates. Right, right. Okay, so how much sugar should we allow in our daily diets? Well, that's a good question. And it varies depending where your sugar comes from. Because okay. sugar is very, you know, it's present in, in uh, vegetables, it's present in, in fruit, mm -hmm. uh, it's present in many of the drinks that Cupcakes. sometimes we, <laughs> yeah. we eat. So it, it's difficult to answer that question. Okay. I think um, fruit has to be part of our diet, no mm -hmm. question, at least you know, two pieces of fruit, sometimes yeah. even three pieces, depending what food you are eating. Carbohydrates and vegetables, I'm sorry, vegetables and, and you know, lettuce and uh, greens are also a very important part of, of our dietary plan. Sure. So there are plenty of you know, good uh, uh, advice Plans, in, yeah. in the internet about what a good Mediterranean diet uh, should look like. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, really talking to a, an expert, talking to a dietitian, touch basis with your primary care provider probably right. would be a good way. But the nutrition is just a small component of improving our lifestyle. Sure. I mean, the nutrition is one of the five areas that we get under control. It, it is impossible to maintain weight loss long term if exercise or physical activity is not part of our lives. Sure, sure. So, yeah, we can lose a few pounds eating less carbohydrates. But our brain is always trying to bring us back to our previous state. Mm. We have a set point in our brain. Some people's set point is 250 pounds. Some people is 230 or, or 195. Right, right. So, and that, there are different uh, uh, signals that set that set point. Okay. How many hours do you sleep? You know, what do you uh, eat? Uh, your level of physical activity, the stress, uh, how many hours of light, uh, your levels of vitamins, the flora in your gut, your microbia, yes. all those factors modulate your set point. Right. So, yes, you start losing weight, but your brain is trying to bring you back to where you were before. It's, 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 it's the set point. Right. So, unless you move to Florida or you change jobs or you divorce or you get rid of your kids, your life, yeah. your set point yeah. will continue to yeah. be the same. Correct. So, so, so we need to understand that. It's not that you lose weight, that's it, I'm done. No, you lose weight, but you, keep, you need to keep doing long term what caused you to lose weight. Because right. the moment you stop doing that, you will regain the weight. And we see plenty of people who come 250 pounds, they are successful, they lose 30 pounds, they stop coming or they do something else and a year later, two years later, they come back right, and right, they right. are back again, mm -hmm. 250 pounds. That's their set point. Yeah, yeah. So it should be a lifestyle change. Absolutely. Not just a diet. Absolutely. Right. So okay. whatever we do has to be done in a way that is easy to do long term. Right. I cannot, right. you know, oh, I'm going to start going to gym every day. That, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Not realistic. Not realistic. Right. So realistic expectations are very important. So yes, exercise is uh, a big part of it. But exercising three times per week, that's usually realistic. For how long? 30 minutes? Yes. Okay. I think, you know, make sure that you are up to 10,000 steps maybe, depending okay. on your physical. I mean, we have plenty of patients that come to see us on, on wheelchairs. Sure. So sure. we need to develop a personalized exercise program 
so they can integrate that on their lives. Okay. I mean, I have a patient that goes to the swimming pool with the bottle of oxygen. Wow. And we're very proud of wow. her because she's doing that. I mean, yeah. exercise, there is no reason why people cannot increase their level of physical activity. Right. Unless they are intubated in the ICU, and we will still discuss that, there is no reason why people could not be more physically active. Sure. And that's, that's very important to guarantee success long term. We know that physical activity is the best predictor for success long term to keep people's weight down. So do you have any tips or tricks for um, people that are going to be joining big dinners during the holidays and a lot of temptations? Yes, I think, first of all, when you go to a party, you should have eaten something at home before you go. Okay. So Don't go full. That's don't right. go so hungry. Don't, don't go so hungry because most likely what you're going to find there is not very healthy. Right. So make sure that you already ate something before you go so you can be selective of what you are going to be eating. Sure. You know, yes, of course, you know, try to enjoy the party, try to eat the healthier component. Mm -hmm. Yes, if you're going to drink alcohol, be cautious. I think, you know, with a drink, probably is plenty. Sure. And um, drink, drink, especially eat slowly. Make right choices, more on the green stuff. Maybe, you know, some of the almonds, uh, less peanuts, and more on the, you know, fish and uh, turkey and okay. uh, chicken than compared to the red meat maybe okay. seafood is is very healthy but make sure you don't fill it up with mayonnaise and all these yeah. sauces so so make the right choices and don't let you get to a point that you are too hungry that you will just be uh, right. non-selective on okay. what you eat so you'll see um, a lot of people if they're trying to stay away from sugar when they go for drinks on my coffee or my tea they go for sweeteners instead is that a good idea because, I mean, we heard a lot of things about sweeteners. Yes. Are they healthy? Are they better than sugar? Or what's the good sweetener? I don't think they are. Uh, I think if you like your coffee a little bit sweet, the best thing is to add a little bit of sugar. Sugar, better yes. than sweetener. I think a little bit. Because we really don't know the side effects yes. of these artificial sweeteners. Yeah. We start having to see some data to suggest that play a role changing the flora in the gut, the microbia. Mm. Um, we know that people who develop obesity have some type of microbia that is different than the people who have not developed obesity. So we don't know to what degree our microbiota in the gut okay. is playing a big role in the development of uh, obesity. Yeah. So, yes, if you have type 2 diabetes, maybe you don't want to add a ton of sugar. Right. But, you know, a tiny bit of sugar, if that's what you like your coffee, I personally do that. If you know, if you like sugar, if you like coffee, I think without sugar is the best way to take it. Yeah. But obviously, that's a personal uh, Yeah, decision. you have to get used to it. Yes. To the black coffee. But the exercise helps to uh, counterbalance everything. Okay. You know, if you have a party today, you have, you know, a couple of drinks or maybe just one and you have eating a little bit too much. If the day after, you know, the gym will be open and waiting right. for you right. or the street and you can walk or, or physical activity has to be planned. Okay. It's, okay. it's very important that it's very difficult to say, oh, I'm going to go for a run. That usually doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Unless you have planned the day before, yes, tomorrow is when is my day to run. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. So physical activity has to plan in our daily routine the same way that, you know, meeting with other people or, or put it in your calendar just like you would everything yes. else. Yes. Okay, that's perfect. And then, so with your program, um, the medical weight management program, um, how is it different? Is this, uh, like, what do patients expect when they first go to a program like that? Is it uh, a lot of people, a lot of sport, or is it one-on-one? Yes. -on -one? What is it? Well, like? our program, we have a lot of people with type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. but we center mainly on 
the weight. We okay. know that if we help people to lose weight, their type 2 diabetes gets under control. Mm. So there are two ways to take care of diabetes. One will be the glucocentric approach, meaning we care about your blood sugar, we make sure we control your blood sugar, and we use medications to control your blood sugar. That's the way that diabetes is treated many where. Right. We treat diabetes in a different way. We treat diabetes in a way that we make sure that we help you to lose weight. Mm. Yes, we pay attention to your blood sugar, but the main goal is to help you to lose weight. When patients lose weight, the blood sugar, the cholesterol, the blood pressure, the sense of well-being improves. Everything. Yeah. So if we follow more the blood sugar approach, mm -hmm. yes, you start with metformin, and after they give you maybe another pill like glitazones, or they give you another pill that usually end up taking insulin and causes weight gain. Mm. Oh. Sulfanilureas, sulfanilureas and insulin are associated with weight gain. So that's the medications for diabetes can cause weight gain. Yes. Which, so, so, so that perpetuates mm -hmm. the disease. Right. We use medications and an approach to treat type 2 diabetes that we help people to lose weight. Right. When they lose weight, the diabetes gets into remission. Okay. So, so that's extremely important. And I think it's, if, we, if we agree, and I think that's been shown, that people develop type 2 diabetes because first they have gained weight. Right. I think it's really counterintuitive to treat a disease like type 2 diabetes with medications right. that cause weight gain, right. when the weight gain was the reason why you developed type 2 diabetes to right. start with. That's a good so, point. so we don't agree with that. We, we are more eager to treat the obesity, help people to lose weight, help people to lower their insulin resistance, and get the blood sugar under control. And we have plenty of data, and we publish sure. that data to show that when that happens, people do better. We have plenty of information with bariatric surgery. I was just going to ask you that question. People with Great. bariatric surgery, what happens yeah. is that their set point in the brain, the appetite set point, gets lower. Mm. So we have our colleagues in, in, in the Bariatric Institute, they do more than 700 surgeries per year. Mm. So when we see these patients after bariatric surgery, they tell us, I am not hungry. And you ask patients, so, you know, you lost 30 pounds. Why is this going... Doc, I'm not hungry. Oh. So that's a new feeling for, for many people. Yeah. So not being hungry is because their set point is lower. Mm. So the bariatric surgery what it does is that your set point was before 280 pounds and you needed to eat so you're, you to get up to, to, that. to be there. Yes. Now your set point is 220. Oh. So there is 60 or 70 or 80 wow. pounds difference and you just eat less. That's the appetite suppressor that you were talking about. That's right. So bariatric surgery is a good option for people with diabetes to lose weight. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and diabetes type 2 is completely reversible with diet? Diabetes type 2 gets into remission in many circumstances okay. after bariatric surgery because of the weight loss. Okay. The weight loss causes less insulin resistance, right. so the pancreas starts working better, mm -hmm. and the blood sugar gets under better control, so the diabetes gets what we call into remission. We don't like to say that it's cure. We I like see. to say it's getting into remission. For but now. for that, we understand that sometimes people who came to see us taking insulin and taking uh, medications, they have bariatric surgery, and they leave the hospital with no insulin and maybe just mm -hmm. with a medication called metformin. Okay. So they can have a tremendous improvement wow. in their blood sugar after undergoing bariatric surgery. The, the surgery changes the, some of the hormones in our gut. Those changes in the hormones cause the appetite to be lower mm -hmm. and also may play a role improving insulin sensitivity, meaning allowing the insulin that the pancreas produces to work better.
So all those factors help to get the diabetes into remission. Sure. People who had diabetes less than five years usually do much better getting into remission than people who had diabetes more than 10, 15 years. Okay. Okay, it's a shorter term. Okay, well, um, we have a lot of live questions coming in. So yes. I was, let me just emphasize yeah, one thing about our program. We, sure. we see patients in the context of groups. Mm -hmm. okay, we, lo yeah. we give a lot of attention to, to the group support. That works very well. Uh, when we see the patients, we check blood pressure, we check cholesterol, or we check blood pressure and we check their weight. Mm -hmm. And after we, we, we review everything that I was telling you in the context of groups. And we have already uh, shown that when we compare that to a standard of care, meaning seeing them individually, the groups are more efficacious. The, the data looks better. Okay. Why? Because the group offers an extra support. You see from, right. from the other members in the group, you become more really? accountable. You get a lot of knowledge and, from them. And, and we see them frequently. We see them every month. So we can make changes and motivate and make sure that things go in the right direction. And if they are not going the right direction, we try to identify why is that happening and try to make corrections. So it's a shared medical appointment? It's what we call a shared medical appointment, okay, yes. Okay, great, great. And I'll, we'll put the website on the comment section here below as well for our uh, viewers. Um, but let me go ahead and go some uh, questions. Please. I have a barb. What number do you consider pre-diabetic? For example, an AI, A1C of 5.7. Well, that's uh, in the in the in the cutoff. Yes, we okay. we, we start getting concerned about that. Mm -hmm. uh, five point six, five point seven. A number, I think, a number is just an orientation. Okay, right. if you have been noticing that you are gaining weight, uh, it's going to be a moment that unless you do something about it, that will continue to increase. Right. So sometimes we give numbers just to establish diagnoses, but the point is, if you have been gaining weight and you're seeing that your fasting blood sugar is slowly getting higher, and you don't do anything about it, yes, today you're pre, and tomorrow you're full. It's, right. it's just, uh, the number is important, but it's just an indication. We, sure. we need to make sure that when you see things going up, you start making corrections. With the prevention, sure thing. And then, Suzette, uh, great information. So do you think a glucose of 109 is pushing it? A1C is 5.7, which is the same one. Well, Yes, I would like to know how it was, you know, six months ago. Okay. But yes, that suggests that is in the, in the pre-diabetic, over one, one over one hundred, over one hundred one, we are just getting uh, concerned. So okay. yes, we're going to be having a fasting blood sugar less than a hundred. So uh, one hundred nine is a little bit high. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes, it okay. is. Um, and then Donald, what is a normal sugar count to see if you're diabetic? Well, it depends if you are fasting, if you are postprandial if you have already eaten um, and one blood sugar number really doesn't say much uh, right. if you already have type 2 diabetes we're looking at the hemoglobin a1c that's mm -hmm. the average blood sugar over the previous three months okay so we want to make sure that you keep that hopefully less than 6.5 the closer to six the better okay but at the same time we want to make sure that you don't develop hypoglycemia if they were being treated with other medications like sulfonylureas which will cause low blood sugars or weight gain Okay. That's the problem that I was saying before. If we are aggressive treating the hemoglobin the A1C oh, okay. with medications like sulfonylureas of insulin, yes, we may get the hemoglobin A1C to 6, but maybe from 180, you go to 220 with your wow. weight. So we're trying to make sure that from 180, you get to 170 or 165, and at the same time, we keep your hemoglobin A1C sure. under control. And you're literally going to the cause, which is... Weight is weight. one of the huge ones. Okay, and then Shannon, can you get rid of can you get rid of type two diabetes 
with weight loss. And that's absolutely, absolutely can be done. Uh, and I have Shada. Uh, once diagnosed, do you always have diabetes or can it be cured? Well, that's uh, great. In general, we say to our patients, oh, you have to that type 2 diabetes and this is a chronic disease. Yes, it's a chronic disease, but we know that if there is weight loss associated, mm -hmm. you will get into remission. Right. So plenty of data already published showing right. that, yes, today your hemoglobin A1C is 6.6, .6, you have type 2 diabetes, but we help you to lose 20, 10, whatever, mm -hmm. and the next hemoglobin A1C is 6.2 or 6.3, and if you are already taking medications, your diabetes is not there. Right. So if you have right. a normal fasting and a normal hemoglobin A1C, you cannot say that you have diabetes anymore. Yeah. So wow. yes, it goes into remission. Why? Because the weight loss. That's excellent. And then Amy wants to know, can diets like clean eating or removing certain foods reverse diabetes? I don't think that a single food will do that. Okay. I think it's the weight loss associated to eating healthier that will cause you to improve your insulin sensitivity and yes, get into sure. remission. Sure. And Ryan, with all the new diets out there and with so many choices, is there one that you would recommend over any other specifically targeted um, the characteristics of diabetes, like keto, Atkins, paleo? Uh, like, I is think there a, a more... Uh, I will go with a Mediterranean diet because it's the, the only one that have shown to improve cardiovascular risk, decrease our chances of having a heart attack, decrease our chances to have a stroke, mm. decrease the risk of developing Alzheimer's and, and, and uh, dementia. So, so it's a very healthy diet, uh, but at the same time, uh, you need to try to follow in a way that you reduce your num number of calories, sure. so you slowly lose weight. But for that, to keep the weight off, you need to increase your level of physical activity. Mm -hmm. And if you don't if you are not successful improving your diet and becoming more physically active, the use of medications should be considered. We need to also talk about your stress. We need to talk about how many hours you are sleeping. So all those factors need to There's be... There's a lot more factors yeah. than just Thinking the diet. that improving your diet, you're going to be successful long term is, is nonsense. Right. That's not going to happen. Okay. Look, the problem is that there is a tremendous business associated to every diet. And if yeah. you have somebody famous that is endorsing that diet, even more noise around yes. a specific diet. But the reality is that usually that doesn't happen long term. Right, right. Okay. And then uh, back to keto. Um, Anna, does keto diet increase your cholesterol? At the beginning, it may, but okay. usually with the weight loss, we see that getting better. But yes, if you follow a very high fat diet, yes, your cholesterol may increase. Okay. Uh, when you talk about eating protein, we talk about you know eating hopefully more turkey and fish and more right. uh, chicken. But yeah, some red meat could be that associated to that. So the risk of cholesterol increase is very, I don't think that's a big concern if okay. you are cautious. Sure. All right. And then Roy, how much weight do you need to lose to affect your blood sugar? I guess it depends. Oh, Roy, Roy has a tough question there. It really <laughs> depends. Yeah. It really depends where you start. Um, in general, we see improvement of fasting blood sugar after a 3% weight loss. 3%. 3 to 5, but with 3%, hmm. you have already. So, so you know, if, if, um, if you lose 10 pounds in general, uh, that's usually uh, a good idea. So, so uh, it really depends where you start from. Sure. And, and then, everybody is different, obviously. Of course, right. Uh, Janine, I'm on uh, concentrated insulin. It seems to take too long to work, and I'm gaining weight very fast. Any advice? Yes. If um, she has type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. and I assume that's the situation, um, she needs to talk to her doctor 
about the possibility of using other medications like uh, what we call GLP-1 analogs, mm -hmm. glucagon-like peptide analogs. Okay. They are working on, a, they can be administered daily or weekly. There are at least five, six in the market that should be considered. There are other medications called SGL2 inhibitors, mm -hmm. GLUT2 uh, inhibitors. Uh, they work in the kidney also, increasing the amount of sugar that we lose by the urine. Mm. So that's a good way to consider also. So insulin is associated with weight gain. So that's really the glucocentric approach for the treatment of type 2 diabetes. Right. Sulfonylureas and insulin are associated with weight gain. So she needs to talk with her uh, provider about using uh, GLP-1 analogs and SGL-2 inhibitors. Th mm -hmm. Those two types of medications are associated with weight loss. Okay. They can be associated after metformin, when people do not do well with metformin, mm -hmm. those two medications could so be considered. And that's what after. the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists and the American Diabetes Association suggest as a possibility, mm -hmm. instead of being uh, more prone to use sulfonylureas and insulin. Sure. But at the same time, I guess she may have also obesity, maybe her BMI is over 30. So she could also talk with her provider about the possibility of using some of the medications known to be responsible for lowering appetite, what we call anti-obesity medications, also approved by the FDA. So anti-obesity, that's the one that uh, suppresses the appetite? Yes. Is that given to every patient that is seen for diabetes then? That is no. struggling with weight? Or no, is that but a... in many circumstances should be considered. Should be. And that's what, we're, that's what I am suggesting. Right. We are suggesting that instead of treating diabetes with medications that cause weight gain and considering that you have developed type 2 diabetes before you gain weight, right. you should consider, your physician and provider should consider treating your diabetes in a way that they help you to lose weight. There are medications FDA approved for the treatment of diabetes that are associated with weight loss, sure. number one. And number two, there are all medications approved for obesity therapy also mm -hmm. by the FDA that could be considered also in addition to those, uh, all those that medications that you're using to try to control your uh, type 2 diabetes. Sure. Sure. So my point is that we need to control the weight. Okay. If the weight gets under control, type 2 diabetes, cholesterol, uh, depression, yeah, blood pressure, osteoarthritis, yeah. sense of well-being, sexual function, everything gets better. Absolutely. If you want to get all those things that I have just said better in the situation that I was talking about here, you have five medications. You need one for the cholesterol, one for the blood pressure, one or two for the diabetes, one or one two for the, the depression. Effects, yeah. <laughs> so you are treating the consequences right, right. of weight gain instead of treating the primary problem that is the obesity, that if you treat that, everything else will gets fall better. Into place. Okay, great to know. This is great. Thank you. Uh, let's see. So, uh, Darlene, I'm a type 2 insulin-dependent diabetic. Explain to me why when I quit my insulin, I lost 83 pounds. Then I had a stroke, so I went back on insulin, and now I've gained 61 of it back. I think insulin makes you gain weight. I fully agree with her. Yeah. I mean, I'm really sorry she developed yeah. a stroke, and you know, but I will... I guess that the stroke was not because of the weight gain, or the weight loss. I was going to ask, yeah. She, she right. makes the point. She, she, she really has a cause and a consequence. She started insulin, gained weight, she stopped insulin, she lost weight. We know that. I mean, yeah. we know, yeah. we have plenty of information to suggest that when you start insulin or when you start sulfonylureas, yes, there is associated weight gain. 
we need to talk with our providers. We need to make sure that we 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 are in a in a situation and being taken by a provider that, that really thinks that weight is a concern. Sure, sure. I mean, you're you're being medicated for a problem, but it's creating even a bigger problem. That's right. That's exactly That's what's right. happening. Uh, Juan, is uh, metformin safe to take, and what are the side effects? Juan, metformin is a very good medication. Okay, good. <laughs> metformin, what it does is to reduce the amount, of the amount of sugar that our liver produces. Okay. So if you have type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. having your um, glucose, the one that is being produced by the liver, being reduced, that helps to get better control of the blood sugar. Okay. So yes, metformin is the first line of therapy for people with type 2 diabetes after or at the same time they improve their eating uh, habits and they become Sleeping. more physically active and everything. Importantly, metformin also reduces appetite. Mm. So people who start metformin usually l lose a little bit of weight okay. because of decreased appetite and also better control of their blood sugar. So insulin gets lower mm. and they usually are less hungry too. So metformin is a very good medication to treat type 2 diabetes. Great. And then I have a question um, from ICE. Um, can we use metformin for weight loss? It's not FDA approved, okay. but people who it's have type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes or insulin resistance, we use a lot of metformin to help them to improve their insulin sensitivity and to lose a few pounds right. in the context of everything that I was saying. Sure. We need to understand also that metformin uh, sometimes, if it's taken with an empty stomach, could be associated with some nausea, with some diarrhea. Mm -hmm. So it's recommended to start metformin after dinner, after we sure. eat. And uh, yes, sometimes metformin, we need to make sure the kidney function is appropriate. Uh, there is a condition called lactic acidosis that is very rare, but patients could develop that if their kidney function is not working properly. Mm -hmm. So obviously you need to talk with your doctor about it, but we, it's the first line of therapy. We have thousands of people taking sure, sure. metformin. Excellent. Uh, so can you take metformin and insulin? Barbara asks. Yes, but before adding insulin to metformin, in a situation of type 2 diabetes that has been probably caused by weight gain, right. instead of adding insulin to metformin, I will add, as I suggested before, the medications, the glucagon-like peptide uh, GLP-1 analogs or the SGL2 inhibitors. The sure. one, one helps the GLP, uh, helps the insulin to work better mm -hmm. and also reduces appetite. The SGL2 works in the kidney, increasing the, the amount of sugar that we use in the urine. Mm -hmm. So the first one reduces appetite and helps your insulin to work better. The second one helps you to get rid of more sugar in the urine. Mm -hmm. The consequence of both is that you lose weight and you get your blood sugar under control. I so I will not be prone to add insulin after metformin. I will, prone to, I will be prone to use any of those two medications that first. I have just suggested because I know that they are going to help you to lose weight and also is going to help you to get your blood sugar under control. Uh -huh. The moment I start you on insulin, most likely you are going to gain weight. Yes, we may get your hemoglobin A1C under control, but, but I think we can get your hemoglobin A1C under control with any of those two medications okay. plus the weight loss that is going to be associated to that. Great. So we'll check on these two other medications. And then Jill, what is the name of the appetite suppressant you mentioned earlier? Well, there so are 
different appetite suppressants that have been uh, approved by the FDA. Mm -hmm. So there is a combination of fentermine and topiramate. That's okay. a combination that can be used long term. Okay. There is another medication that is a combination of Welbutrin and well naltrexone okay. that can also be used long term. Okay. Um, there is another medication that is liraglutide also that okay. could be used uh, long term. Um, there is something that works in the gut, reducing the absorption of fat, that is called Orlistat. Mm. Um, Fentamine has been in the market for many years. Fentamine? Fentamine, yeah. Okay. Uh, there is uh, different medications that work in the brain, and you need to talk to your provider to see which one is the best for, for you, you based on your general history. And we try to make sure that we, we, we use one that is effective and we discuss the pros and cons. Any yeah. medication to treat any condition has pros and cons. Right, right. There is a lot of bias against the use of medications to control appetite, mainly because of the history. Many, many medications used in the past were not FDA approved. They had been used mm -hmm. off-label to treat obesity. So the ones that we have right now, yes, they are FDA approved. They okay. have so all the ones you mentioned are FDA approved? Yes. Okay, good. So I have not mentioned the actual name, but it's right. the combination of those two of uh, those uh, medications. Sure. So um, uh, there is another one lo called Lorcaserin. Okay. Lorcaserin also works in the brain, reducing appetite. Ah. So those are uh, any of... And if you go, you know, FDA approved medications to treat obesity, yeah. there is a list. Uh, sure. You need to talk to your providers. Talk to your they need to understand sure. uh, what is your history. You know whether or not you have history of depression, whether or not your kidney is working properly, uh, how is your blood sugar. Is you know there are more than one type of obesity. Sure. The same way that there is more than one type of cancer or more more type right. of depression. Right. We cannot say people have obesity. You no, have to customize you, the program. You, that's right. You yeah. really it, 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 it's a detailed history. Get a sense of what's going on in right. our patient's life to understand. Sure what has been, if there is any predisposing factor, you know, quitting smoking, uh, going through changing jobs, move to somewhere else, uh, a divorce, genetics, um, started some medications. Right. Some of the medications that we have to treat um, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, um, bipolar disease, mm -hmm. uh, blood pressure, some of the medications that people use, beta blockers, yeah. antipsychotics, they are associated with weight gain. So, ah. so we have to so make sure that first your doctor reviews with you which medication you are taking to treat other medical problems. Because mm -hmm. sometimes switching a medication is the first thing that we need to do to help people to lose the weight. Sure, sure. Great. And then Jill, um, well, no, that's one I just asked. Uh, Roy, can we get a prescription for appetite suppressant from our primary care physician or do we need to see a specialist? No, in general, any uh, licensed provider should be able to uh, prescribe an appetite suppressant in the okay. context of, uh, you know, a, a, a visit where everything that has been suggested sure. is being addressed. Okay. Giving you a prescription for an appetite suppressant, in the, if you don't do that in the context of everything that we're doing, is not going to be that effective. Right, we know right, that. Right. So, so it's very important that you talk to your provider. They, they get a good sense of your general health. They know what have been the predisposing factors, what is going on in your life, what is going on with, with your health, which medications you are taking. And after, yes, if necessary, uh, a lifestyle intervention with nutrition, with more physical activity, the appetite control, the sleep and stress, all, all those that. factors I was suggesting are being addressed. Uh, they are 
two of them are controlled substances. The meaning of that is that you need to see your physician on a monthly basis. They need mm -hmm. to renew the prescription. Uh, a controlled substance means that the FDA potentially has concerns that you may be getting addiction. In general, the addiction to appetite suppressants is, is not there. I really personally have not seen that. But they need, okay. patients need to be seen on a monthly basis, make sure that we address the pros and cons, we evaluate the progress. Right. And, uh, and uh, you know, if I don't think there is a medication that people could abuse, to be honest. Right, right. But we, we pay a lot of attention to that. We make sure that we see patients on a monthly basis, we see whether or not they are responding, and we address any concerns that they may have. Are those medications that suppress your appetite, are they something that your body gets used to and you will need higher dosage the more you use it, or is this kind of like a one-time deal? No. In general, we don't see that. In general, we see that people start losing weight, and after there is a plateau. Okay. So your weight gets plateau. under control. Okay. So the concern there for many people is that they are not being effective and not losing more weight. So it's not so much that. They are continue to be effective. Yeah. If you regain, we could say maybe they are not effective. Right. But if you keep your weight down, that's effective right. in usually in general the plateau is because what we call the basal metabolic rate okay. changes okay. so the basal metabolic rate is the amount of calories that we burn for being alive without moving we burn calories through different ways three different ways one is with physical activity mm -hmm. two is having our body functioning your brain your heart your lungs when that works, it burns calories. Just automatically. Mm -hmm. So those calories that are being used to keep your body functioning, that's the basic metabolic rate. Mm. So physical activity, basic metabolic rate, and the third way is uh, what we call the thermic effect of food, meaning how much calories you burn your gut processing your food. When, we, mm. when you eat, your gut obviously has to process the food, right. so we burn calories through that way. So when we start losing weight, our body doesn't like that. Right. Our body wants to keep the weight that has been there because feels that the extra weight that we have means reserves. Mm -hmm. You have, if something goes wrong, if you break a leg or uh, if you don't have access to food or you develop an infection or, you know, if women get pregnant, having an extra energy there is a guarantee mm -hmm. of um, extra energy in case you need it for unexpected mm -hmm. events. Over the evolution, that kept you alive. Right, right. If you have the extra energy. Yeah. So your body is happy with the energy that you have accumulated. So when we start losing weight, the basal metabolic rate may change. Okay. So if now you need 1,500 calories to keep your body functioning, your lungs, your brain, your heart, your body is able to do that with 200 calories less. It's more efficient. Right, right. So instead of burning 1,500 to keep your life, it's just burning 1,300. So those 200 calories, whereas now they are not being burned. Right. So that's the reason why before you were losing and now you are plateauing because you don't end up the day with 200 calories sure, less. Sure, sure. How to compensate that? Well, you need to probably burn two extra, yeah. 200 calories extra or eat less 200 calories. Sometimes when people plateau, we add a medication or we change the medication or in sometimes that set point, that that changes in metabolic rate, and this is a matter of controversy, it may come back and you go back to the 1500 instead mm. of the 1300. That doesn't happen to everybody and we could discuss this forever. Sure. But <laughs> plateau means that your brain is feeling that you're being successful, 
So it's changing your basal metabolic rate. Right. It's trying to prevent you from losing more weight. Okay. We have ways to counterbalance that. And, right. and, and it's very important. But when people plateau, they should not be frustrated. They should keep doing what they're doing. Means they you're doing it right. That's right. Yeah, and as long That's as you're right. in a healthy BMI rate, right, then you're good. I'm going to ask you one more question, then we're running out of time. Uh, Ibrahim wants to know, are there new drugs for treatment for type 2 diabetes? Uh, not really. Um, there is a tremendous armamentarium to treat patients with type 2 diabetes. Mm. There are more than seven different categories to treat patients with type 2. Meanwhile, we just have five medications to treat people with, with obesity. So yeah. the ones that we have right now should be very effective to treat the type 2 and also to treat the obesity that caused the type 2. Sure. So it's just a question of having a conversation with your provider. So in addition to treat the blood sugar, they are also treating the weight. So you keep your weight down and you get your diabetes center remission. Wow. All right. Well, we are running out of time. Thank you so much Thank for you, being Nada. here. Thank you for inviting me. It's I really enjoy talking with you. And if you're ready to make a life-changing decision and are interested in learning more about the medical weight uh, management program here at Cleveland Clinic, you can call us at 216-444-3672 to schedule your consultation or simply go to ccf.org slash fresh start for some powerful weight loss tools. And thank you so much for watching us and keep watching us on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Cleveland Clinic One Word. And we'll see you again next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.